0: Bienvenue, welcome to City Breaks Toulouse episode 5. I'm going to call this episode From Woad to Outer Space because I'm intending to offer a mixed bag, a smorgasbord if you will. Actually that's not a very French expression. Okay then, a buffet of a whole range of things which combine to tell us the story of the city of Toulouse. I noticed when I looked around the tourist office and some of the guidebooks how many different museums there are in the city and I realised that between them they tell the story of how Toulouse has grown up and become what it is today. So I'm going to pick out no fewer than nine places which you might wish to visit, museums or sort of museums, and talk a little bit about the various things which they represent and what place they've played in the history of the city. And to round off the episode a little biography of a famous pilot connected to the city, one Antoine de Saint-Exupery, whom you might have heard of more in connection of the books that he wrote. Famously, most famously perhaps, he wrote Le Petit Prince, The Little Prince. But in his daytime existence, he was a pilot. He was flying the night mail from Toulouse to Africa and South America through the 20s, when aeroplanes were much more rickety than they are now in the early days and he wrote about that too in a book called Vol de Nuit, Night Flight, and I'd like to finish with one or two extracts from that. Okay, so back to the 15th century first, Uh, let's consider the plant Satis tinctoria, to give it its Latin name, which we call woad and which the French call pastel, because out of woad in the 15th and early 16th centuries, grew up an industry which made Toulouse actually much, much richer than it would have been otherwise and contributed, for example, to the fact that some of the merchants could build those lovely hôtels particuliers, those rather fancy houses that were cutting-edge 15th century architecture, some of which you can still see today. So, woad had been used medicinally in the area before that, but in the 15th century it was discovered that from it you could get a rich blue dye and that was important. Because until then, the colour blue for art and textiles and things could only be found from much more expensive ingredients imported from many miles away. So they set about cultivating woad. It was handy that the soil and the climate around the city were ideal. And they realised that you could crush the leaves and leave them to ferment for three or four months and then press out a sticky blue dye, which could be used for all kinds of manufacturing purposes. And on the back of this, and the fact that it was exported all over the place, Toulouse became very well off indeed. The Rough Guide, for example, puts it like this. Demand from textile manufacturers across Europe brought staggering wealth to the region. It's believed that some thirty to 40,000 tonnes of the stuff were exported or shipped away. Unfortunately, it didn't last too long, two or three generations really. And then in the 16th century, along came cheaper dyes from the Indies, based on indigo. And that was the end of that. But while it lasted, it was great. Merchants became really rich. A lot of them, in fact, became Capitole. So they got political power as well. They built themselves the fine mansions. And right up to today, you can buy woad-based products, jewellery, linen, tableware, that sort of thing. And the place to go if you want to know more about this is a little institution called Terre de Pastel, which is a museum which will give you the history of the whole process. But it's also a workshop, so you can see it being done. And allied to that, there's a spa. You can have beauty treatments or a sauna. They've got a shop, of course, where you can buy linen products and jewellery and cosmetics and so on. So, terre de pastel, if you want to know about woad. The other natural product for which Toulouse is very famous is the violet. That actually dates from much more recently But nevertheless, the flower has become the emblem of the city, so you see it often on tourist brochures, on references to Toulouse from other parts of France. I think historians would tell us that the first time they've actually captured mention of the violet in Toulouse was 1854. And they're not really quite sure exactly how it arrived, but there's a legend that says that possibly it was a soldier, a young man from Piedmont in Italy, who was in Toulouse for some reason, fell in love, and decided he would go home and bring a flower, the violet, that he'd never seen in Toulouse, but which grew abundantly where he came from, and bring it back and offer it to the young lady with whom he'd fallen in love. Certainly a lovely story, but I don't know if anyone knows if it's actually true. Anyway, shortly after the middle of the 19th century, violets were being grown in lots of places around Toulouse, such that, in fact, there was a marché violette, a violet market, held in the city center once a week a cooperative was founded they began exporting it to across europe and as far away as russia it is believed that at the height of production there were 600 different companies growing violets and they were producing 600,000 bouquets a year for export all of this continued then right through the first half of the 20th century until the very harsh winter of 1956 which ruined the crop and after which, really, people had moved on. They weren't growing violets anymore. They seemed to have disappeared. Until the middle of the 1980s, an agricultural engineer came along and thought, well, I'm going to try relaunching it. One Adrien Roucol, he decided that he would start growing violets under glass, in vitro cultivation, much less weather dependent, much more reliable. And sure enough, it built up again from there. So nowadays there's a Fête de la Violette, a Violet Festival, once a year. And it's been commercialised in other ways too. You can buy all sorts of Violet-related products. You'll see them in shops throughout the city centre. Or you can go out to the second place I'm going to suggest that you might like to visit, something called La Maison de la Violette, which, despite its title, La Maison being a house, is in fact a barge moored on the Canal du Midi, just outside the city centre, where you can see a workshop, you can buy violet products, you can taste things. Some of the things that they might offer you would be things like crystallised violets, little sweets, perfumes, liqueurs and syrups for cooking. You can buy violet honey and violet ice cream or jam. So plenty of choice. One of the shops in the city centre called Les Trésors de Violette, I noticed they offered what they call, quote, gourmandise, so lovely things to eat, senteur pour la maison, fragrances for the house, and parfumerie, perfume. So that gives you an idea what's what in the world of violets in current Toulouse. So much then for natural products. The next two museums I'm going to recommend are both connected to the world of medicine, very appropriately, because historically, Toulouse has always been seen as a centre of medicine. That dates right back to the days of the pilgrimages in medieval times, when it was known that Toulouse was a good place to stop. If you were en route, let's say from Rome to Santiago in Spain, you might well be stopping in Toulouse. And if you needed medical treatment, then you could go to a place called the Hotel Dieu Saint-Jacques. Hotel Dieu is a lovely word that really means hospital. Literally, it means God's hotel, but it's used for hospitals. The Hotel Dieu Saint-Jacques which actually, these days, is part of the UNESCO World Heritage Site, connected to the pilgrimage route and to several buildings in Toulouse, as I think I mentioned in a previous episode. So medicine in Toulouse started with pilgrims needing treatment. During the plague years, they used to arrive by boat so that they wouldn't go through the town and infect the townspeople, but the lovely people at the Hotel du Saint-Jacques were still willing to care for them. And when the University of Toulouse was founded, there were only four faculties to start with, one of which was medicine. The building today, the Hôtel du Saint-Jacques, still exists and it's an admin office for the medical services for the city but it's also the site on which you can find two small museums, the first one being called the Musée d'histoire de la médecine de Toulouse, so the history of medicine in Toulouse, somewhere where you can find out the history of seven centuries of medicine in the city through tableaux and sculptures and instruments. And then curiously, as a separate institution, but in the same building, there is the Musée des Instruments de Médecine des Hôpitaux de Toulouse, so the Museum of Medical Instruments from Toulouse Hospitals. So if you have a strong stomach, you can go round that and look at all kinds of surgical instruments from the past and have a gory time thinking about how they might have been used and see other objects from daily life to do with taking care of the sick. Again, over a long period in history. It's not all historical, though. Toulouse today is still very much right up there in medical terms. It's the centre, for example, for something called the Oncopole, which is a big cancer research centre and hospital. Moving on, but staying scientific, the fifth place I wanted to suggest that you might be interested in visiting is somewhere called the Quai des Savoirs, the key of knowledge, key as in riverside rather than door opening. Um, which is a science museum, opened relatively recently, in 2016, I think, where there are all kinds of exhibitions on scientific topics, lots of interactive experiments, a big area for children, and where you can learn the history of science and technology right from the early days, and focusing on dates like 1746, when the Académie Royale des Sciences, the Royal Academy of Sciences, was founded in Toulouse, and a date about 40 years later, when another institution came along known as the Société Académique de Chirurgie, so the Academic Society for Surgery, and many, many more since then. There are today, I think, four universities in Toulouse, but also four schools of engineering and some 50 other institutes, schools of advanced studies, etc., many of which are linked to science and technology. A book I'll be referring to in a later chapter, a lovely book called Goose in Toulouse, really all about cuisine and cooking, by Mort Rosenblum. Actually, it has a lot of little asides, one of which was technology-related, and used the following words, quote, Toulouse is technology heaven. Ariane rockets are made there. The supersonic Concorde was born in Toulouse. It is Europe, Seattle, the headquarters of a French-dominated Airbus consortium building wide-bodied planes which compete with Boeing. Aérospatiale in Toulouse? builds those heat-seeking Exocet missiles so beloved by military dictators. Oh dear. So linking on from that then, let's think about the aircraft industry in Toulouse, because there are two interesting places connected to that which you can visit. I'll come to those in a minute, but for the moment let's start with 1890, which was the date when one Clément Ader was born in Toulouse, and he grew up to be one of the very first men at all worldwide to go up in a plane. So the connection started that early on. And in 1916, the first aircraft factory was set up right here in Toulouse, known as Pierre-Georges La Déco-Aire. After the First World War, things really began to take off. Sorry about the pun. There was an air postal link between France and Africa, between France and South America. All of this throughout the 1920s in those very rickety planes, which people were very brave to fly at all. They were flying to places like Rabat and Casablanca, Dakar and Senegal, and to Brazil. In 1926, long came to join the crew, one Antoine de Saint-Exupery, the famous pilot and author that I mentioned at the beginning. I think I'll leave the story about him until the end of the episode, but just mention him here briefly. During World War Two, problems. The aircraft factories were taken over by the Germans, of course, who were occupying the country which meant that they were badly bombed by the British and the Americans and that post-war reconstruction was badly needed. But this certainly took off a pace because by the 1960s they were doing the Concorde project here in Toulouse, the French-British joint venture, and the very first Concorde flight ever took off from Toulouse on the 2nd of March in 1969. Through the 70s and 80s they were moving on then to the Airbus project, Again, Franco-British cooperation, but much bigger than that, involving Spain and Germany and other European countries, and indeed, in the end, the US and China as well. But the Airbuses are basically assembled either in Toulouse or in Hamburg, and the Airbus site in the city is the biggest factory in the whole of France, employing over 13,000 workers. It's a worldwide operation, of course, but it centres right here in Toulouse. This century, dating from 2007, I think, newer models come along, the A380, that massive 850 seater that you may have seen or flown in. So all of which is saying, yes, development and the future of aircraft engineering is in Toulouse and here to stay. And on that note, two interesting places you can visit. There's the Airbus factory itself. You can do various things there. Find out at the tourist office, you can go along and see the site. You can even watch production. They've got what they call a big panoramic viewing area, which you can go up to and from which you can see the Airbus 380 assembly line. Or you can tour the site in a bus with a commentary and see all sorts of things from how it's designed to how it's assembled to the delivery centre and really get a sense of the massive company that it is. So that's Airbus, and linked to that, very close by both of them outside the city centre, but quite easy to get to, is something called Aeroscopia. So that's a museum all about the history of aviation. Starts with the birth of Clément Adder in the 1890s, goes right up to today. All sorts of things to see there, most notably 25 or more actual real aeroplanes. That's the place where you can go inside a Concorde or get up onto an Airbus and have a look round. Lots of film footage and interactive areas where you can go behind the scenes on a flight or investigate the future of flying etc etc. Then allied to the aircraft industry is the space technology industry also very big in Toulouse. In 1968 just as Concorde was coming on stream they set up something called the Centre National d'Études Spatiales so the National Centre for Space Study CNES for short right here in Toulouse And today there are all sorts of companies and operations centred on Toulouse, working often internationally, involving up to 40 other countries. It's said that up to one in four of people working in the European space industry are based here in Toulouse. And as the space industry tends to do, it's spawned all kinds of related companies using some of the technology that's been invented. Things like meteorology, navigation, telecommunications, all of these things operate in the city. I guess once you've got a highly educated workforce, then they move about and do other things as well. So if you want to know more about the space industry in Toulouse, then the place to do that is somewhere called La Cité de l'Espace, or Space City, two and a half thousand square meters of exhibits, all kinds of amazing things. You can simulate a moonwalk if you like, you can train, spot the inverted commas, be an astronaut. There's a life-size spacecraft parked outside, so you can clamber about in that. There are exhibitions on the life of astronauts on an international space station. There's a 3D IMAX cinema, there's a planetarium, anything you want to know about what's out there and how you can get there, you can find out in the Cité de l'Espace. So that makes my eighth recommendation, leaving just one, and actually, we've been getting more and more high-tech and futuristic. But for the last one, am going to go back a little and mention something connected to the aspect that maybe would be the thing that most people, or most Frenchmen anyway, might mention if asked, what do you think about when you hear the word Toulouse? And a good number of them would say, well, for me, Toulouse is le rugby, rugby. It's said, for example, that if you ask a Toulousain how big the Place du Capitole is, The answer you're quite likely to get is, oh, it's about the size of a rugby pitch, because it's certainly true that in the city of Toulouse, rugby is king. They have a rugby team who have won the French championships and the European championships loads of times, a team in which many of the players are actually part of the national team as well, and they're really known all over the world. They play in red and black. You might spot that if you fly into Toulouse. There's a shop at the airport full of just Toulouse rugby kit and memorabilia. And those two colours have been carefully chosen, actually. They have a historical link. They were the traditional colours of the Capitole in old days. And the history of rugby in Toulouse again, something that a lot of Toulousans will be able to tell you. Name all the great players that have gone through their city, brag about all the famous victories, etc., and maybe mention to you that. Did you know Toulouse has its own newspaper dedicated to rugby? This isn't a new thing. It was published first in 1929 and it's still going strong. It's called Le Midi Olympique, should you wish to look out for it, on newspaper stands. So, if you want to know more about rugby then, in Toulouse, you can visit the stadium, which is called Le Stade Ernest Vallon. Again, you can arrange that through the tourist office. And If you go, what you'll be doing is... Learning the history of the club, learning all about the famous victories and the players, you can see the stadium. I think with certain packages, you can actually go and see a training session if you wish, or of course, you might decide to just try and get tickets and go to a match so that then is my ninth recommendation. I think you'll agree that there's really quite a range of aspects that make toulouse an interesting city, so going from the woad from the fifteenth century and the violets of the nineteenth century to the early days of flying taking in the history of medicine along the way, of course, and then the very futuristic current air travel, space travel, and by way of contrast, rugby. So something for everyone, I hope. To finish off the episode then, I'd like to go back to the story of the early days of flight, which was very much connected with Toulouse, and to talk about Antoine de saint Exupery, who wasn't actually born in Toulouse, I think he was born in Lyon, But it was in Toulouse that he did most of his, or from Toulouse, I should say, that he did most of his flying. He is mentioned in the exhibitions at the Aeroscopia, but I think it'd be nice to know just a little bit more about him, because he was an amazing man with a really interesting and ultimately rather poignant history. So he was born in 1900. At the age of 21, he joined the French Air Force and trained as a pilot. Not long after that, he went to the commercial sector, joined the company I was talking about, the Compagnie Latte which flew night mail from Toulouse to Senegal first. He rose up the ranks there, became their area director for the Argentina run. And in 1931, he wrote a book, Vol de Nuit, Night Flight, based on his experiences of flying those early planes in the 1920s, such long distances to South America and to Africa. He was obviously a bit of a daredevil. In 1935, for example, he made an attempt to break the flying record from Paris to Saigon. And during that flight, unfortunately, he crashed in the desert somewhere in Libya. He spent four days wandering about, he and his mechanic, but in fact they were rescued. I think just very fortunately somebody came across them and helped them to safety. And he wrote about that experience in one of his other books called Terre des Hommes. That was fairly autobiographical. But it popped up as well in what is probably his most famous ever book, Le Petit Prince, The Little Prince, a children's story. If you know that book, you'll know it's all about a little prince crash landing from another planet onto Earth and finding out what it was like here. In 1940, after the fall of France, Saint-Exupéry fled to America. But in 1943, he came back Well, actually, he went to North Africa and worked as a reconnaissance pilot for the American forces, so he was able to put his flying skills to use for the war effort. What turned out, tragically, to be his final assignment was a flight down the Rhone Valley. He was asked to go and get intelligence on German troop movements there, and he set off on the 31st of July, 1944, from an airbase in Corsica, and was never seen again. It was a mystery for years, what had actually happened to him. Had he been shot down? Had he committed suicide? Had he just had an accident? Nobody knew. And I think it was probably written off as being one of those mysteries that would never be solved. But, in fact, there is a postscript. Well, actually, two postscripts, because early on in this century, the early 2000s, a fisherman out in his boat found an identity bracelet belonging to Saint-Exubery in the sea somewhere near Marseille, so a search was conducted and, in fact, they did manage to find his plane in the end as well. Naturally, that was in the news and that prompted a German previous fighter pilot to come forward and say that, actually, he had been responsible. He had shot down sainte plane on that date, the 31st of July, 1944. So in the end, we do know what happened to him. And how ironic that after all that dangerous flying in the very early days of the 1920s, in rickety planes to such far-flung destinations it was while flying along the coastline of his native France that he was actually killed. He is remembered today, I think, much more for his writing really than for his flying, but the two are inextricably linked because he wrote several books about his exploits in the air. One of the very famous ones, Vol de Nuit, Night Flight, is about a pilot called Fabien who's delivering the mail to Patagonia, takes off from Toulouse, flying to South America during a storm. The pressure's on because a lot of people think that night flights are not safe and Fabien's boss, Riviere, who's keeping an eye on the flight via the radio, is very keen to show that it can be made to work. So Fabien's under pressure to deliver. Then radio control gets lost. And it's very much about a man confronting danger completely on his own, lost up in the skies in dangerous circumstances and how he's going to cope. It becomes the epic struggle of an individual against the dangers and a piece of writing on courage really and to what extent it's worth risking your life for the sake of an idea or for being loyal to your company. And it's beautifully written so I wanted to end by just quoting a couple of passages from the book perhaps to whet someone's appetite and inspire you to go and find it and read the whole thing. So here's a section from the point in the book at which the pilot Fabien begins to realise quite how badly wrong things might be about to go. It seemed to him that even the material things around him were revolting against him. With each dive, his engine vibrated so strongly that the whole plane was seized with trembling, as though it were angry. Fabien exerted his strength to control the plane, with his head stuck down inside the cabin and staring at the horizon on the gyroscope for outside he could no longer distinguish the mass of the sky from that of the earth. He was lost in a darkness in which everything was mixed up together, but the needles on the dials showing his position were swinging back and forth more and more rapidly, so that they became difficult to follow. Deceived by them, the pilot thrashed about, lost altitude, and was gradually dragged down into the darkness. He read his altitude, which was 500 metres. It was the same height as the hill's he felt them rolling towards him in dizzy waves. It seemed to him also that all those land masses, the smallest of which could have crushed him, had been torn away from the world that supported them, dislodged, and were beginning to roll around him drunkenly. They were starting a profound dance around him, and enclosing him more and more tightly in their grasp. There's a moment a bit later on in the book, when, just before the plane is lost forever, the last that we hear from Fabien, the author describes him flying along, above the clouds, transfixed by what he calls the snowy whiteness, and just taking a moment to enjoy the beauty, even though, as he himself says, they're doomed, they're done for, they're not going to be able to land. Here's a last quotation then from the pilot. Quote, it's too beautiful, thought Fabien. He was wandering among the masses of stars, densely packed together like a treasure trove, in a world in which nothing else, Absolutely nothing else was alive except him and his comrade. They were like those thieves in the towns of fables who are walled up in a chamber full of treasure but do not know how to escape from it. They wander among these icy precious stones, infinitely wealthy but condemned to death. So then, that's Vol de Nuit, Night Flight by Antoine de Saint-Exubery. There are one or two other books of his about his flying life and then, of course, there's Le Petit Prince, The Little Prince as well should you wish to investigate any of those. OK, so so much for this episode then. A bit of a ragbag, but hopefully it comes together to produce a picture of Toulouse. And next week, I'm going to move on to an episode on art and architecture. I want to talk a little bit about the Hôtel Particulier that we referred to here, the buildings, the mansions built by the rich merchants with their profits from Woad in the 15th and 16th centuries. And then I think I'll go on a tour of some of the city's art galleries. Many and different highlights there. Everything from Roman finds and medieval sculpture to paintings from across the centuries, photography and even a museum on posters. So something for everyone, I hope. OK, so that's next week. But for the moment, I'm going to stop there. And thank you very much for listening. Merci and wish you goodbye. Au revoir.